Welcome to Day Zero Update for August 2nd, 2020. I'm your host, Chris Ologi. I'm Patrick Mifflin. I'm Brandon Perkins. I'm John Yolette. And I'm Dan Victoria. And uh, yeah, we've got a pretty good lineup of news here. A uh, bunch of dates. Got some fighting game news. Uh, let's see. A couple of weird things here coming out of uh, Konami and Riot. And uh, uh, then again, and when does it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and uh, a couple of uh, adaptations for Netflix that you might not have expected, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll talk a bit yep. about the Nintendo Giga Leak has been going all over the internet for the past week or two. Uh, yeah, which is a uh, a bit of a mixed uh, whole thing as far as how people are reacting to it, both in a how we obtained this information and is this all this stuff that's in this uh, leak and yeah. purely academic, like what we learned about how some of these games are made and some of the ideas mm-hmm. they had. Uh, but yeah, before we get to that, we'll talk about what we're playing. Uh, so yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'll start. Uh, I've been playing more grounded, uh, which is the new obsidian mm-hmm. game. That is basically like a, a fairly standard uh, survival crafting game kind of thing. Uh, st- I think I'm on my second day now of exploring. And, well, I think that's actually my third, because I've built a lean-to that lets you kind of sleep through the night, so you don't have to deal with waiting around for uh, protection from the, the creepy crawlies that I assume that are around. Mm-hmm. Uh, the game even has a slider in its uh, options for uh, arachnophobia people. That yep. lets you. It's it's a weird slider. So like the the base one is just the spider itself. I think the second one it goes down to like three legged spider, which mm-hmm. is weird. Uh, then it kind of goes into like a floating ball of sorts all the way to the 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 final one, which kind of looks like a weird white blob with eyes. Yeah, uh, it like strips all the texture off of the the thing. <laughs> uh, which is just weird, but mm-hmm. so far I haven't run into any of them. I I did see here playing a bit before the show that uh, I found a spider's web. I stood stayed far away from it, especially as it was getting darker. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But yeah, the the crafting stuff is uh, pretty decent so far. They do do a nice thing where if you're looking at an item that you want to make and you don't have. Uh, one of the items that you can also craft, it lets you just hot craft it right there. Uh, so you don't have to go searching around the menus, because as you pick up items, you take them to these like research golf balls that are weird. Um, you can analyze them on a computer. I think it lets you do three at a time before it needs mm-hmm. to like recharge, uh, which doesn't take too long, like a couple minutes. Uh, that adds, adds it to like your database, and then uh, add some new crafting items to your uh, your list, whatever you can make. And they split them up uh, in a way that I, I'm not really a huge fan of, the way they split them up. Because uh, they kind of spread it out into like eight, nine categories. That's makes it a little hard to uh, get around as much. Uh, but you can get to things like a crafting table, that kind of stuff, that lets you craft even further uh, amount of items. That sort of stuff. Uh, so far, my big issue is just crafting a uh, like base of operations, like a little house 
type thing. And there's no floor. Uh, which is weird. Um, it might be that I have to craft... There's, like, scaffolding. I wonder if that's, like, the floor that they... that you're kind of expected to use, but it's not really explained too much up front. Because the first things you get are the walls and a door. Uh, that kind of thing. Then you get, like, roofing, uh, uh, doors with, uh, or walls with, uh, windows in it, that kind of stuff. Uh, then you can start using other materials to build out of what I, I assume are harder materials. Because uh, as you're going around, there's obviously like grass, uh, there's dead grass, there's weeds that you can go and break apart. And these things are kind of things that you kind of carry. Uh, so it's not going into your inventory, it's like a, you can carry up to five of these like planks of this stuff, but you can also build like weird like little pallet things to stack them on. So you kind of keep things organized, because if you just put them on the grounds, they're uh, subject to physics, kind of. Especially when you're running over them, you can knock them over, that kind of stuff. So it's a uh, ways of keeping things organized. And uh, my first house I built on a rock that was not steady, so it was, it was all just weird. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, so far it's been pretty good. It's still kind of grabbing, getting used to the the different mechanics. Uh it does have thirst and hunger meters, which I'm not really a huge fan of right now because they're they go down pretty quickly. But you can kind of get climbing onto the the grass to get dew off of under like leaves or whatever uh, for that, or you can just drink out of puddles, which is a bit sketchier. Can cause uh, some weird visual uh, issues, I guess, as you get <laughs> kind of like delirious or something. Uh, food you can kind of get from. Uh, you can go get mushrooms, find little like mushroom sprouts, kind of things, or kill some of the creatures. You might get a little bit of uh, meat out of it, uh, that kind of stuff, which you can cook on a a spit, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, so far it's been uh, pretty neat, and they kind of fleshed out the the world pretty well so far. Uh, but yeah, I'm still I'm basically heading towards this tree. Cause there's you get to this like a uh, remote that seems like it's tied to the the machine that was that uh, shrunk your group. There's like four bespoke kids that you can play as. Uh, I forget what I picked up one of the girls, and uh, your like first couple quests are just all about that button, uh, and you're kind of exploring based off of that. And then you get to set it off, and it causes this explosion near. Uh, the tree that's in the yard, and you kind of go go over there eventually. Uh, so that's where I'm kind of at right now. Well, and I'm building a a base on top of this like tree stump looking thing. So that's kind of where I'm at on that. Uh, also been playing Rocket Arena, which is uh, mm-hmm. EA's most recent release, uh, one of the EA originals from an indie studio, as a three v three multiplayer game. That's where I think most of the uh, characters' attacks are basically like a rocket launcher. Uh, not quite just a generic rocket launcher. It's usually uh, a variety of uh, different kinds of weapons. Just the their main attack is a bit like that. As far as you want to, uh, you get like one shot, uh, kind of every couple seconds, depending on what the character you pick. Uh, I picked uh, the one I've been using the most. It's a woman named Izel, I think it is. Uh, she has kind of got mm-hmm. a Amazon, Amazonian kind of look to her. Uh, yeah. She has this uh, 
gun that I think has like eight shots where you have to reload it. And her like her other moves are like a a big dash. Uh, what else? Uh, I throw like this uh, weird like boomerang kind of thing to try and get an mm-hmm. attack. And the uh, the weirdest thing about the whole game is it's kind of like Overwatch meets Smash Brothers. Uh, because the the main mechanic is not really a health bar for your enemies. It's sort of a uh, a KO meter uh, that you're filling up as you get hits mm. on them. Uh, when you get maxed out, the next hit will just knock them out of the arena. Uh, so it's kind of that kind of thing. You can also just knock them off the sides of uh, the the stage if you can. Uh, but they're uh, because they're essentially having like a rocket launcher. Uh, if you shoot at the wall, like slightly below you, you'll essentially like rocket jump up the wall, that kind of thing. You also have a triple jump uh, as well, so you can kind of you get some good opportunities to climb back up if you get knocked off the wall. Uh, but yeah, if you get their uh, meter filled, uh, the next shot just shoots them out of the arena pretty quickly. Uh, so that with that, they have I think three modes. There's like a basic uh, kind of deathmatch mode. Uh, there's a team-based mode that I haven't played yet, and there's like a uh, PVE kind of mode where you can team up with two other people to take on a wave mm. of bots. Uh, they're kind of coming at you. Same kind of mechanics, but the like the the deathmatch one actually has some pretty interesting variations that it randomly picks. Uh, the ones I've seen, there's like one that's uh, kind of capture the capture these points uh, where these like rockets are gonna uh, be at, and you have to go and fight off the other team to fill up the meter. Uh, I think I had to get like five first uh, for that. The other one was a bit uh, like Rocket League-ish because you get to go to this one uh, part of the map uh, to get a ball, and you want to take it and shoot it at the other opponent's goal. It's not really an explicit like goal, like in Rocket League. It's more of a, a space that's in there where they spawn, where the other team spawns usually, and that's. Uh, you just try and get that in like five minutes. So the matches are all pretty quickly. It's like five minutes or less. Uh, so it's not too bad as far as uh, playing. Uh, it does have cross-play, which for whatever reason isn't on by default. So I was playing uh, a couple matches last night. It was taking a bit longer than uh, I thought it should for having just given away a bunch of codes uh, in the past day or two. Uh, it's also on sale, I think, for five bucks. At least on PSN. I'm not sure about Xbox or Steam or anything, but uh, it seems like it's probably not selling well, so they're trying to get copies out there pretty quickly for uh, free or on the cheap, uh, which isn't surprising. It's not selling well for a $30 game. Uh, it seems a bit expensive, and I'm hoping... Yeah. I'm expecting it to go free-to-play at some point if this doesn't kickstart it, because uh, it's not... It feels like a free-to-play game, the way they have this stuff set up. Because uh, the it does have a store that you can get uh, cosmetics for that changes out about every day or so. Uh, that kind of thing. So you can definitely tell. You get the... You know, there's two currencies. One's paid, one's not. Uh, mm-hmm. And the one that's not is what you get out of every match. Uh, so you got daily and weekly missions, that kind of stuff. So it's a lot of stuff that's like pretty typical of free-to-play games. Uh, but they're charging 30 bucks for the game, but uh, you can get it now for like five bucks or so, uh, most places, I think. Uh, it seems okay. It seems okay so far. Still got to play a bit more, mm. maybe check out some of the other characters, but 
Uh, it's pretty decent uh, for what it is. Just a lot of the games you can get into that are like this are free. That's kind of the big challenge they have, is trying to convince people to pay money for it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, i uh, also been playing some more Ghost of Tsushima, uh, which is... Uh, I'm still I'm still in the first act, uh, finishing up some of the side stuff. Uh, that Haunted Forest uh, mission was pretty neat. Uh, we kind of get rumors that uh, people think this forest is haunted. Uh, it's the spirits of dead samurai have uh, uh, scared a lot of people, I guess. Uh, yeah. But you get there, and it kind of just turns off the uh, any sort of like uh, tracking stuff. So you're kind of just wandering around this island, uh, this uh, area, looking for clues for what might be the source of these hauntings. Uh, which you find out are bandits. They're just killing people. Uh, which is not too surprising. But, uh, yeah, it's... It's, uh, so far still been a lot of fun. Still working my way through it. And, uh, yeah, yeah. That's been, uh, that's been pretty much it for me. How about you, Pat? Um, for me, I've been sticking exclusively to my retro minis. Um... The real big game that I've been playing this week is Wipeout 3, because I missed out on that the first time around, and I'm kind of confused, because obviously Wipeout XL or Wipeout 2097, depending on um, what region you're playing it in, um, is the is universally understood as the the gold standard for the series, the... Uh, you know, somebody's curious about playing Wipeout games, and it's kind of your civic duty to guide them toward Wipeout XL. I don't know how that game protected its status um, next to Wipeout 3, which has blown me away in the time that I've been playing it. It's got way more content. Um, it runs way better. It's almost a PS2 game, I would say. Um, it's got some really interesting bonus materials included. Um, there's some prototypes, which are like, uh, beta courses. And they are very minimalist. Um, lightly textured, some places non-textured. And they're just really raw proof of concept, um, tracks that you can play on. And that's really fucking interesting to me. I, um, they're, they're a bit of a pain to unlock because you have to get, uh, I think you have to get golds with every car on every course in each class to unlock one. And so, um, these are going to be coming out at a, at a trickle for me. Um, but it's a really interesting concept, I find. And, uh, yeah, I, I can definitely see how it influenced the visual design of um, the games that are in Wipeout Omega Collection, HD and HD Fury. But I'm surprised that Wipeout 3 in particular doesn't have the same... um, doesn't have the same status within the scope of the series um, among the player base as XL does, because it's... I mean... It's the same good game with so much more meat on its bones, and it runs so much better. 
despite the PS1 hardware being very long in the tooth around the time that Wipeout 3 came out. So um, that's been the big revelation for me this week. Um, in addition to that, I've been getting my uh, shmup fix in. Um, Final Soldier on the Turbo Graphics. Um, definitely my favorite of the Star Soldier series, and uh, it's just an absolute joy to play. If if it had co-op, it would be perfect, I feel. But even as it is, it's just um, it's one of those all all time classics that I can always go back to. Um, circling back around to the PlayStation, I've been playing some Gran Turismo too because. That's actually another game that I missed out on back when it first came out because that was a really good time to be a PlayStation owner. And um, there were, there, it felt like there were great games coming out on a weekly basis around that time. And, you know, Gran Turismo 2 is just one of the ones I didn't have an opportunity to pick up, um, you know, for financial reasons. And I'm happy to be getting the the chance to play it here, um, except fuck the final international B-class license test because that was misery. Um, it bas- uh, I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with Laguna Seca Raceway, but it starts you on the Ray Hall Strait. So you can, on a rolling start, so you can already tell where this is going. Um, you have to, uh, go down the corkscrew and the leg of the course that it wants you to complete in a certain time frame also includes the, um, the left turn after the corkscrew. So you have to not only, uh, go down it while staying on the road, but you also have to corral your car enough to, um, to keep it rolling, you know, for that next section. By the way, I should mention that this car in question is a Dodge Viper. <laughs> so it took me some time to to get that one nailed down, but I did finally get it. And I that's really been um you know that 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 kind of just opened up everything for the rest of my GT2 experience. I'm I'm still very much at it and um, haven't gone after my international A license yet, but I'll be doing that here probably next week. Mm. Um, and then I've been playing a Genesis title called Xenocrisis. And this is a top-down shooter that um, d- utilizes the, um, the Smash TV, you know, twin stick kind of format by using the X, Y, A, and B buttons as a second D-pad. And this game is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, if you told me that it was a 32X game, I would believe you. Um, but it's just a really fun uh, Smash TV-style game that um, happened to be developed for the Sega Genesis last year. And uh, if you're big on picking up reproduction games or, um, you know, you're really interested in the sort of fan development circle that's um, emerged 
in recent years, then I highly recommend Xeno Crisis because um, this game is definitely um, an absolute joy to play. And I wish I'd known about it last year. I probably would have involved it in my game of the year listing. So that that'll tell you how I feel about it for sure. Because last year was a pretty good list. But that's mm-hmm. been about it for me. All right. How about uh, you, Brandon? Uh, yeah. So I'm still playing Ghost of Tsushima. Um, I'm now at the second part of the game, where I now have most of the island accessible. Uh, still got that last third that I still got to get to. That's like at the tip where Castle Shimura is. Um but yeah, uh, I'm feeling pretty OP now. <laughs> nice. It, it yeah, it's by this point in the game, it is like you are you've got so many ways to go about it that it's like almost overwhelming. Um, but yeah, it's it's a great game. Um, I legitimately understand why it's doing so well because it really is that good. Um. And uh, apparently, like I've said before, it's also doing incredibly well over in Japan, too. I think it's one of the highest-selling Western games over there right now. Um, and Japanese players are all consistently like surprised that a Western developer was able to just nail Japanese culture so well. Um yeah, I think I saw an article last week from the uh, Yakuza director. He's like, "How come we didn't do this shit?" So, yeah, he, yeah, he, he in particular, he's like, yeah, he was like, I, I wonder if this is gonna. And I, I said this on last weekend, and I'll say it again. I wonder if this is gonna be like what happened back in the mid, I think the mid two thousands when uh, Kung Fu Panda came out, and all the Chinese filmmakers got together in a conference and said, "Why hadn't we made this movie ourselves?" <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, it is also funny to see like what Japanese players, you know, who, who play in the game, like what they're mostly doing. Basically, they're all obsessed with the photo mode. <laughs> Some of them admit, yeah, I haven't really gotten very far in the game yet because I'm just using the photo mode to take pictures of everything. <laughs> um, and I think the Yakuza director himself pointed out this, uh, uh, Jin Sakai himself, the main character, he pointed out that if this game was actually made in Japan, then Jin Sakai would not look like that. He would not make it past like focus testing because he's not handsome enough. Because you know, in, in, in the game, Jin Sakai is like in his mid-20s, I think. You know, and if, it, if this was a Japanese game, he'd be like 17 or 18. <laughs> but yeah, it's a... Uh, Great game. Amazing game. Um, other than that, uh, I uh, decided to go back um, because I never really really finished the first one, so it's been a long time. Go back and um, play the Banner Saga trilogy because um, I never played two or three. Uh, I only ever played the first. Um, to sort of describe what the Banner Saga games are, are it's sort of like uh, a combination of like a simulation or RPG, uh, visual novel, resource management, and Oregon Trail. <laughs> um, it's it's like gorgeously animated. It's got kind of like a Don Bluth type thing going for it. 
Uh, um, and uh, you're basically like playing in a, a Viking fantasy world, like after Ragnarok. So basically, uh, everything's kind of slowly dying, and you and a bunch of uh, survivors are trying to make your way across the frozen wasteland uh, and get to, I guess, to find a place that'll sort of be your haven, I guess. Um, and it is not just beautiful, it's also pretty brutal. Uh, it is not a game that will that will baby you. I mean, it'll tell you how to play, and it will, you know, show you what you can do. But as far as the enemies goes, they do not hold back. They will absolutely annihilate you if they think they if they think they have an opening. Um, but yeah, that's basically what I've been playing. Uh, so, uh, John, who's next? John, what about yep. you? Alright, so, uh, yeah, I've been playing more Ghost of Tsushima as well. Um, uh, just like Brandon, I'm in Act 2 right now. Uh, I think that yep. uh, next time I start next time I start up, I think I'm going to head back to the first part of the map and uh, just do some cleanup. Uh, yeah, that's there. what I've been doing. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so I'm probably going to go ahead and get moving on that uh, next time I start the game. But uh, I actually have been playing on the... Uh, I bumped the difficulty up to the new lethal difficulty that they, that they, uh, patched in this past week. And yeah. I, 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 so I had been playing on hard before and lethal definitely, uh, like it, it elevated the game a lot for me. Uh, just cause I, I feel like each stance now kind of has more, uh, kind of has more versatility because mm-hmm. I think that, uh, whenever you're playing on like the normal hard difficulties, part of the game is, you know, making sure that, you're using the right stances on the right enemies and like switching uh, between them. But then uh, in the new lethal difficulty, uh, because of how, well, your enemies, like every enemy basically dies in like one, two, maybe like three hits for the bigger enemies. And then you always die. In, and, and I mean, the same goes for you as well. I think that there's a significantly heavier uh, focus on dodging and like looking for openings as opposed to, you know, uh, making sure that you switch to like the moon stands when you're going up against brutes, or like the wind stands when you're going up against like enemies with spears and all that. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, like it's definitely elevated the the game a little bit for me. Added a lot more tension to each encounter. And uh, oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I've, I've definitely uh, been really into that. So, um, but so yeah, st- still having a real good time w- with Ghost. Uh, and then other than that, I've been playing more Titanfall two. Uh, mm-hmm. still a really, still a really good multiplayer game. Uh, yeah, still a really good first person shooter. It's a little oh, bit yeah. hard to find a game outside of the attrition playlist, but I'm just happy that there's still people playing because I think that it, I mean, like, yeah, it's, it's a really good first person shooter and, uh, it deserves so much more success than it got, especially when you consider how that series, like, well, went on to inspire, uh, went on to inspire Call of Duty as well as, I mean, it looks like, based on uh, the new gameplay we saw for Halo Infinite, it definitely looks like there are some uh, things in there, even in the UI, that look kind of ripped straight out of Titanfall. You know, and like, you know, power-ups like the grappling hook and whatnot. But, yeah, uh, I'm just glad that there's still a community for that game, because, like, goddamn, it's fun. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, uh, finally, I've been playing Dead Cells a lot. 
Uh, I ended up jumping back in uh, after taking a break for a few months, and I was really surprised that just how easily I was able to kind of get back into the groove of things. Like mm. it only took like it only took me like maybe like three or four kind of shorter runs before I ended up like on my fifth run, uh, getting further than I ha- ever had before. And don't tell me because um, I because I don't want to be spoiled, but uh, I'm pretty sure that I got to like either the final boss or the second final boss. Uh, but then mm-hmm. I died, uh, obviously. So then uh, had to re- had to restart. But I mean. That wasn't something I was expecting to do, you know, picking up the game for like, you know, the first time after not touching it for a few months, you know. But yeah, uh, I also picked up the DLC while it was on sale, too, because I figured why not? Uh, I think it was on sale for like five bucks. So, yeah, just picked that up and I checked out one of the bonus areas. (laughs) And then uh, after five seconds, realized that I had made a grave mistake because like those, bo- like the um, the DLC, uh, like the expansion areas are very very hard. And as someone you know who hasn't played in a while, uh, that uh, I yeah that that didn't fare very well. What wasn't exactly a good recipe for success. But yeah, what yeah. once I uh, you know get further into the main game, you know, yeah uh, you know, yeah once I get further into the main game, get more upgrades and you know probably beat the main game, then I'll probably jump into the DLC. But yeah, yeah, Dead Cells is definitely a, a game uh, I've been having a real good time with, though, over the past week. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, pretty much all I've been playing. How about you, Dan Reb? Yeah, for me, it's been um, Paper Mario. Um, I haven't been playing it as much just because, like, you know, I've, uh, I had a bit, bit of a break after going through um, Last of Us and then Ghost of Tsushima, I just wanted to chill. And, you know, with a, with a game like Paper Mario, first of all, I, I find RPGs to be chill. And when you play Paper Mario, you also expect it to be chill. But it's also kind of hard. Um, if you make one mistake in the battle system, you're going to regret it. And um, I've been seeing a lot of that. Uh, so far, I'm at the Water Temple or the Water Valumental. And um, I feel like save points are too uh, too far between. And uh, there, there were plenty of points where I died. Um, for example... I got really frustrated the other night when um, I had just recruited Babam, and uh, the, the first save point at that new island uh, wasn't there until like right before the dungeon, and there was a point where I died like looking for him because like um, the bomb character is uh, kind of crazy. He uh, gets lost a lot, he, and then things like that. So after I go look for him, uh, I end up in a battle that I didn't want to get into. And then I died. And then when I had to restart the game, I was back to before I unlocked him. And I was like, oh, my God, that's like an hour wasted. So uh, well, I was pissed off for a bit. But um, again, it's still funny, things like that. But uh, it kind of ruined me and I hated it. But, you know, I'm, I'm back into it. I'm actually playing it right now. And uh, you know what? There's a lot of Zelda influence in this game. Um, the dungeons... Uh, are actually some of the best I've played in any Mario RPG ever, and they're very Zelda inspired. So it's really cool seeing those um, seeing those crossovers. And I remember um, when the game was first revealed, they had like some Samus helmet uh, at, at the end of the trailer. So I mean, I'm interested in seeing like how things continue to cross over. But yeah, that's been Paper Mario. Um, I've also uh, dived back into Animal Crossing a little more. Um, they added the uh, the Dream DLC. And um, I didn't expect to have like um, much fun with, with, with any of that, but I don't know. I feel like I've uh, 
dove back in a in, in a rather useful way. And um, it's you know it's it, it, it it's still fun for short spurts, but that's been largely it. All right, so yeah, uh, it's a new uh, start of the month, so we got some new games here for PlayStation Plus and Games of Gold. Yep. Uh, PlayStation Plus has uh, a pretty strong pair of games here with uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 Campaign Remastered uh, that just came out earlier this year, I believe, uh, for everything, uh, which I saw a couple people that were mad that uh, this one got added because it just went on its first sale like a month or so ago. Uh, but yeah, this is already available for Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Uh, the weird thing is they made it, they essentially put this up as a separate, uh, release from the, the original version. Uh, which I believe is because if you buy, uh, the base version, uh, you get, like, a special ghost suit for, uh, Warzone in Modern Warfare. The, the new game. Uh, so that was, like, their way of getting around, giving all these people a free skin for that. Uh, and potentially encouraging them to try out the, the new mode, uh, which mm-hmm. is also weird, but uh, the other game is Fall Guys Ultimate Knockout, which seems like could be the the big surprise hit because uh, they've been doing some uh, beta tests here the past couple weekends, uh, and everything I've seen from people that have been playing it uh, is it is a really fun game. Uh, so it's kind of a kind of a, a battle royale game itself, uh, sixty person, uh, but it's kind of an obstacle course battle royale. Essentially, so like a, a little bit like Takeshi's Castle or uh, Wipeout or uh, Ninja Warrior, that kind of stuff. Uh, but with characters that are very much kind of like uh, uh, blobby guys uh, that are pretty much designed so you can get a lot of cosmetic suits and such uh, for them. Uh, so yeah, you'll be able to get to play that on Tuesday here, on the 4th. Uh, it seems like a, a pretty good month there. Uh, for Games with Gold, uh, kind of a weird month uh, for August 1st on Xbox One. Uh, you'll be able to check out Portal Knights, uh, which is a it's a pretty good little uh, indie game that kind of mixes a, a little bit of a Minecraft with like an action RPG to it. So mm-hmm. Loot stuff to it and that kind of stuff. Uh, that game's uh, pretty neat, but it kind of just keeps going. Uh, for the mm-hmm. 16th, uh, there's Override Mech City Brawl, which is a multiplayer uh, game that is uh, you're going to take a place as like giant mechs uh, fighting uh, through a city, uh, like arena kind of thing. Uh, so you can knock down buildings and that kind of stuff uh, as you're trying to take down these other mechs. Uh, I played a little bit of that in the beta. It seemed pretty neat, but I don't think I did too well because it went on pretty good sales. Uh, in the last few months uh, here, but uh, for the uh, the older stuff, they're having two Xbox original games on here. Uh, for the August 1st, there's MX Unleashed, uh, which is sort of a, a classic uh, Rainbow Studios uh, uh, BMX game, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for the 16th, Red Faction 2, uh, another THQ uh, game. Uh, it's a sequel to Red Faction, which was a uh, pretty impressive game for its uh, uh, environment deforming. Kind of break, uh, blow up in uh, 
bits of the environments to create new like tunnels and such for yourself to get through uh, to take out enemies. Uh, and yeah, that's uh, that's kind of it for that. So that is a uh, that's an okay month, it seems like. Um, but yeah, that's your uh, your free games for the the two main services out there. Uh, let's see, we got some other new releases here coming out over the next uh, few weeks, uh, and some that are already out now. Like Cuphead got a surprise release on the PS4, uh, yep. which is uh, a game people should definitely check out. Uh, yeah, very... just uh, be prepared to throw your controller at your television. Yeah, it's, huh. it's a pretty hard game. Not, like, super difficult, but it's more about learning the patterns for the bosses and kind of figuring out the, like, uh, the bullet patterns that you want to go against them and kind of just executing. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is easier said than done uh, yeah. a lot of the yep. times. Especially if you're playing it... Uh... Co-op because you know if if, if your uh, partner isn't as good as you are or vice versa, it becomes it becomes even more hellish. But yeah, yeah, um, Cuphead is a game that I, I've I've really enjoyed in the past. I, I've bought it both times on Xbox and Switch. Never beat it either time, but maybe trophies might make a deal. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a game that's also does a great job pissing you off when you finish when you die in a fight and it shows you like oh you got like ninety percent of the way there and you're like fuck if I just mm-hmm. asked you I would have fucking beat that dude. And then you don't get anywhere close to that for like the next ten times you try. Uh, that kind of game. Um, but yeah, also out now is the second major update for uh, Animal Crossing New Horizons for this summer. Uh, this one adds uh, a few big things here. Uh, first one being like a new event, uh, the fireworks show. Uh, every Sunday in August at 7pm, uh, you can spend bells for raffle tickets in the plaza to get festive items. Uh, as well as you can use some of your design patterns for uh, the fireworks displays, which I assume means people have been putting uh, dicks in the sky. It's one's tonight, so we'll see how many dicks there are. Yeah. yeah. Well, you'll be the one doing it, so you shouldn't be surprised, I hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> that'll be uh, that'll be interesting to see what uh, people come up with. Uh, the One of the big things here that they're adding is... Uh, the notion of dreams uh, that are these uh, these versions of your island that you can kind of essentially like a snapshot version of your island that you can upload, uh, send the dream address to friends and others. Uh, they can sort of visit your island without you having to be there and go through the whole hassle of opening up your gates and all that stuff. Because uh, I don't know if it's still an issue, but I don't remember a lot of people in the early couple of months, like, you couldn't do anything while you're waiting for people to come in, because if you went to the menus, it would knock people out, that kind of stuff. Uh, so it seems like a much better way of, like, sharing your island without having to go through all the hassle of actually having them get on the same time and line that all up. Yeah, the the, the main thing with the Dream Islands is that you can't save um, any of the progress that you are when you're on someone else's island. Yeah. Um, but the main thing that I think people will uh, really enjoy is the fact that uh, much of the gameplay from Animal Crossing comes from customizing your island. And, um, you know, with, with, with terraforming, it's, it's, it's really changed the game or really changed the series. But with the Dream Island, it allows people to essentially start over again without it affecting their own island. So that's going to be the exciting part. And as you said, with, with the online, like, um, just, just getting onto someone else's island is ridiculously hard and it shouldn't be that way. 
especially when you have um, Super Smash Brothers pretty much saving all the macros to make it easier for you. I don't know why they don't do it in Animal Crossing, because we all know this is going to be supported better. But, yeah, yeah it's a nice addition. Yeah, and the, the the biggest thing is that they're finally supporting the cloud uh, save stuff on the Switch. Uh, it's a an island backup service that they're calling it, which I'll make it up, so it uploads your island and your save data to the internet at certain times. Uh, it's just for Nintendo Switch Online members. So, you know, if you lose your Switch or it gets damaged, uh, you can back it up, uh, enable the backup so you can uh, resume from where you left off. Uh, you get the building, yeah. Uh, they got more details on their customer support page uh, for that. Uh, but yeah, that's... Uh, it's a big thing to finally add. Uh, yeah, forewarning that bit, uh, th- th- this is not um, allowing you to, you know, buy a second Switch and switch it over on your own accord. This yeah. is only for, you know, if you lose or break your Switch. They're going to eventually add that option in a future update, but, you know, this is a step in the right direction. It took too long, but, you know, we understand. But it, it's weird because, like, I think the reason why Nintendo is so weird about this is because they don't want people screwing up the economy. But I don't see why that should matter because there's no microtransactions in, in this game. But, yeah, that's it's already kind of broken for the people that do the time changing and all that stuff. Yeah, because the only thing you lose in that, I believe, is just uh, uh, the uh, uh, the stock market. Like if you're investing heavily in that, you'll lose that if you go back uh, prior to what you, whatever your last uh, attempt to play the game was. That's the only thing. But if you're using other means to uh, gather money, you're probably going to be just fine, no matter what. It just it just punishes the people that you know just want to have that backup as a, a bit of security for their stuff. Because having to start over is probably the worst thing you could do uh, for most people with this game. Yeah, I mean, uh, especially with, with with Nintendo's hold on mentality of having multiple switches in one household. Animal Crossing is a game that you want to share, and this just makes it impossible. So, step in the right direction. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice to see they finally get this uh, this working. I just need to add the the save transfer stuff uh, over to another switch so that people can actually do the thing they've been wanting to do since launch is uh, you know, have somebody on one switch and uh, be able to transfer their save over to the other, so you can kind of separate uh, people from just having to play on one switch. Like having to share the same island, that kind of thing, without just starting over with a new Switch, that kind of thing. Uh, hopefully they have a good solution for that. Uh, but yeah, that is uh, stuff that's out right now, as far as coming up. Uh, the Analog Pockets, the yes. uh, cool little system they've made that uh, looks like a, uh, like a Game Boy Color in style. Uh, a bit better, though, but... Uh, Allows you to play out of the box Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance games. Uh, has some accessories to extend that to other platforms. All uh, of the things, basically. Yeah, they are going for an August third pre-order open at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific. Uh, here, uh, the unfortunate thing is the you won't get the uh, analog pocket until May 2021. Uh, so they're not shipping out for quite a while. Uh, I think it's due to uh, COVID-19 screwing with the supply uh, stuff for their system, for all their uh, parts and all that. 
Uh, but they are doing some things to make it better, so the the waits will be hopefully worth it. Um, yeah, they are going to add, let's see, an original display mode that you can turn on that instantly turns the display into the uh, display of the original Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance, uh, which they say comes with all the quirks as well of those displays. Uh, if you press the power on the side, power button on the side of the pocket, puts it into sleep, suspends gameplay, and you press it again, you can wake it up. Uh, so you get that. Uh, let's see, they also uh, have a 4300 milliamp hour battery, lasts about 6 to 10 hours, and uh, 10 or more while it's in sleep. Uh, multiplayer, it supports link cables, uh, specially made ones for this. Uh, so. Uh, you can buy those to attach them directly for the games that support that. Uh, if you buy the dock, which is you play your handheld games on a compatible monitor, you can connect with four controllers using Bluetooth, 2.4G, and wired USB. Uh, in addition to uh, the link cables, they also have new high-quality MIDI and analog sync cables. If those want to use the built-in Nanoloop music creation tool, and connect that to their PC, Mac, or other music hardware. Uh, they also have a partnership with GB Studio, which is a retro game creation tool. Allows you to generate proprietary .pocket files and run them on your pocket using SD uh, card. Mm. And uh, they did a little bit of minor redesigns to it, uh, putting the Start, Select, and Home buttons at the bottom center of the pocket instead of the bottom right. Uh, and it also has a recessed, the dock has a uh, recessed USB-C uh, port so that it has a bit more stability to it. Uh, and also the pocket's display is made from Gorilla Glass now, uh, so it'll be three times as thick as the traditional smartphone to prevent cracks. Uh, they also have some uh, accessories that you can be able to get. I don't know if they're going to have them for pre-order right now, or not, it does mention here, but uh, they got the uh, Lincoln Sync cables, the uh, cartridge adapters for Game Gear, Neo Geo Pocket Color, and Atari Lynx games. Uh, as well as a new hard case uh, for protection that is clear, so you can kind of uh, keep that thing uh, protected pretty well, uh, no matter what, as well as a high-speed charging uh, adapter. So yeah, that'll be available tomorrow morning, essentially, as of recording here. Uh, the dock is $100, while the, the regular pocket is $200. So you'll we'll be spending a, a decent chunk of change on that, if you're going to get on it. Uh, let's see, also coming out this week, is Fantasy Star Online 2 is finally going to be coming to Steam. Yes. Yep. So people can stop dealing with the uh, the horror of the Windows Store. <laughs> uh, yeah, it comes with Steam achievements and remote play support as well. Uh, yeah, that'll be nice for people that primarily game on Steam. Yep. Uh, yeah should be synced up with uh, the regular game, too. It seems like New Genesis will also be coming to Steam whenever that happens. Uh, yeah, so that'll be good. Uh, also coming up here in a couple of weeks, Battletoads finally got announced for a date. Yeah, uh, with the new art style and everything. Yep, August 20th. That'll be on Xbox One, Windows 10, and Steam, as well as Game Pass for Xbox One and Windows 10. Uh... Yeah, it looks pretty nice. Care to see how it feels uh, when it's finally out. Yeah. And uh, also coming out later this month is Moon Remix RPG Adventure uh, for Switch. 
August twenty seventh, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's a game that most people probably haven't heard of. It kind of uh, was a very very niche game that did not get localized. I think uh, it came from a studio called Love Delic. Uh mm-hmm. That was a team of developers that previously worked on Chrono Trigger and Super Mario RPG, and yep. so it definitely makes sense the way the the game is uh, stylized and all that. Uh, because it is an RPG that is kind of anti-RPG. Yep. Because uh, it is not about uh, fighting enemies. Uh, nope. You are kind of uh, giving them hugs to catch them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, I guess it's kind of described as you are traveling a world that's already been ravaged by a traditional RPG hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the studio uh, unfortunately dissolved in 2000, but... Uh, they would go on to make games like Chibi Robo, Tulip, uh, and Tingle's Rosy Rupee Land. Uh, mm-hmm. So they definitely kept, went on to make uh, other weird stuff. Uh, but this is this version yeah. is being handled by Onion Games, uh, a studio that was made up of former developers from that studio. Uh, so they are working on this, uh, finishing it up here. Yep. Yeah. It looks like it's going to be uh, one of the more interesting RPGs coming out this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's that. Uh, speaking of RPGs, uh, Auden Chronicle, uh, their Kickstarter campaign launched this week. Uh, it's done really well. It's at two point five million dollars. Yeah, that's uh, uh, man, that's that was that was fast. Yeah, it's blown that through. That was only a week. Yeah, blown through most of uh, the stretch goals. I think there's a few more left here, but yeah, so far uh, people have unlocked the the base game. Uh, for PC, yep. uh, Fortress Town mode, uh, the console release, uh, cooking mini game, new game plus, new sound effects, uh, Chinese and I think Korean localizations, uh, mm-hmm. guild system, uh, fishing mini game, a host of characters, uh, extra characters that they're adding, as well as the top battle mini game. Uh, Two point mm-hmm. six million, they get a uh, full orchestra for the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, Two point seven is a a party conversation system. And I assume 2.75, they kind of obscure it with some uh, paint, but it looks like a, another mm-hmm. character of sorts. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, and the, the console stuff is pretty interesting. Uh, the way they word it, uh, cause they're offering this on Xbox one, Xbox series X, PlayStation four, PlayStation five, and Nintendo's next gen console. Mm. Uh, they're not, because they've definitely smartly cited one of the issues with a lot of other platforms is they go for the current big platforms, mm-hmm. uh, which, with the way most uh, Kickstarter games go, this one's aiming for October 2022. It's not going to hit that. It might be a year or two later. Mm-hmm. And the notion of releasing this game on uh, a system that's already uh, behind the others in terms of power uh, versus doing that, you know, two years from, uh, four years from now, uh, mm-hmm. they're definitely aiming for whatever the Switch 2 is. Uh, yep. But they do say, like, if, uh, if it does become feasible to put it on the Switch, they will do that, but they're not guaranteeing it with the, uh, the Kickstarter here for backers. Mm-hmm. So kind of being upfront with people in a way yeah. that kind of offends Switch owners that, like, like when developers put their stuff on their platform mm-hmm. uh, all the time. But, uh, yeah, it looks like it's going to be an interesting game. See how it goes here. But, uh, 
You can still back it. It's still 26 more days to go. So still got a ways to go. But, uh, yeah, the base digital version is 38 bucks, about. Uh, if you want a physical edition, it's about 57 So definitely be pricey, but uh, you get all the bonuses here that uh, people have already funded so far. Yep. And I assume it'll get the, the last couple there uh, here in the next uh, probably day or two, a couple days. Mm-hmm. Uh, as this thing has been going. I don't know if they're going to add more uh, stretch goals, but uh, yeah. It looks like uh, you're hoping this would actually succeed. Seems like it will. Yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's see what's next here. Oh, yeah. Uh, speaking of old games, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2. Uh, yep. One of the most important parts of that game was the soundtrack that was very late 90s. Yep. Uh I believe initially we knew that it was going to have the vast majority of the soundtrack uh, from those two original games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they've resolved, I think, two more bands that are coming back from those, uh, Anthrax and Suicidal Tendencies. Oh, uh, yeah. Also coming in uh, from nice. the original soundtrack, and they have 37 new tracks yeah. also coming to the game, uh, nice. including bands like uh, A Tribe Called Quest. Uh, mm-hmm. What else is here? Less than Yeah, Jake. that's old school right there. Yeah, Less Than Jake, Machine Gun Kelly, MXPX, Real Big Fish, Sublime, The Ataris, uh, Zebrahead, uh, a bunch of bands, big and small. Uh, and if you mm-hmm. want to listen to it uh, ahead of time, you can go, uh, they link to the Spotify here. They have a big Spotify playlist of every song that at least is on Spotify. So you can check that out. Um, let's see. What is next here? Oh, yeah. Epic Game Store uh, is getting mod support now for games. Uh, with the first game up is Mer- uh, MechWarrior 5 Mercenaries. Ow. Yeah, and they've already got a few mods that uh, the community's been working on that uh, they're recommending up front. Uh, some stuff to, let's see, changes core mechanics, overhaul systems, expand enemy AI, and even turn the first and third person action game into an RTS. So definitely yeah. have some uh, some cool cool stuff you can mess around with if you want to check that out. So yeah, it's nice uh, Epic's getting that in there uh, for people that want to mod their games. Yep. Uh, let's see. All right. Sega's president and CPO, chief uh, publishing officer. Kenji Matsura, uh, I think. Matsubara. Matsubara, uh, right. Yeah, has resigned. Uh, citing personal reasons. Uh, so we don't know specifics about that, but uh, that's definitely going to be a big loss for them. Been mm-hmm. their uh, president since 2017. Yeah. And uh, became the CPO uh, just a few months ago in April. Uh, oh, I'm curious what the personal reasons are that he had to resign. Like, is he sick? or, or... Maybe he's got family issues. I don't know. It's possible. Yeah, that's going to... We'll just see who steps up for that. Uh, mm-hmm. Previously, he was uh, CTO uh, in 2014 mm-hmm. when he joined Sega Networks. Uh, he was uh, president and CEO of Tecmo Koei for nine years before that, mm-hmm. and two years as uh, president and CEO of the Japanese branch of Zynga. Mm-hmm. And has a, a good history in the industry. So we wish him luck, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on whatever 
whatever the reasons are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hopefully Sega's got somebody good to lead them for the future. Yep. It's going to be important because, you know, console transition here. Oh, yeah. Speaking of another... Generation. Yeah. New generation coming. Yep. Speaking of another big Japanese publisher, Konami. You remember those people? Mm-hmm. What did they games. do this time? Uh, their arcade division has decided to get into the PC uh, gaming stuff, uh, making PCs, pre-built PCs. Mm-hmm. Well, they got to have something to do. Yeah, they are calling these the R-Spear, A-R-E-S-P-E-A-R uh, line of computers, and they seem to be incredibly expensive for what's in them. Yeah, uh, the f- the top model is about thirty two hundred bucks, uh, three thousand for the the middle model and the C three hundred cheaper model is seventeen hundred dollars. And yeah, the I was looking at the the specs they have here. It's not too much better than the one I paid for. That's like a thousand bucks max. Mm. Uh, you get uh, the top one has like case lighting in it, a uh, specially designed case. Uh, with a window in it, as they say, high quality sound ability, which that's most PCs now. Uh, it's mm-hmm. Windows 10 Home, 64 bits, water cooled CPU, which could be pricey, but isn't like $2,000 pricey. Mm-hmm. Uh, Intel Core i7 9700 processor, GeForce RTX 2700, uh, 2070 Super, which I have a 2060. I was looking at these prices, like 800 bucks just for those two. Uh, yeah, 16 gigs uh, DDR4 memory. Uh, 512 mm-hmm. uh, NVMe M2 SSD and a 1 terabyte SATA hard drive. Mm. So it's not crazy. It's not $3,200 of a PC. Yep. So they're going way overboard on the pricing. So I don't know what the heck they're doing. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I guess the, the Japanese... Uh, players have been looking at this stuff and saying, yeah, it's not great. Uh, mm. Saying things like it's not cool looking for the case design. Uh, and also just calling them outright garbage. Yeah. Is it possible that Konami at this point has just gone straight up into money laundering? Like, because they seem to be consistently putting out these really shoddy products now. Oh, the TurboGrafx-16 Mini is really good. Yeah, but that's kind of in spite of them. <laughs> is that their arcade division, or is that the Konami proper? Uh, it's Konami proper. Okay. Yeah, this seems to be like their arcade division being like, we got money, we got nothing else to do. I'm making a ton of arcade stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's this is all weird stuff, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Nobody should buy these. Unless you're super rich and it's, it's like throwing five bucks at them or whatever, but mm. it's not it's not worth it for pre-built systems. Japan yeah. or otherwise. Uh, you can get much better stuff or equivalent stuff for much, much cheaper. Yeah. Yeah, don't fall for this. Uh, speaking of uh, potential scams, uh, Riot uh, entered into a partnership uh, sponsorship deal for their esports uh, League of Legends European Championship that involved something called Neom, N-E-O-M. Uh, Which that, is this 
we it's this weird like uh, have you guys ever seen like the original plans for like what Epcot was supposed to be before it just became another another part of the Disney theme parks? No. Where it was basically like Walt Disney's idea of like a futuristic self-sustaining city. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, oh. it's basically a man-made futuristic city. Um, I read about this, and it's, it's I think it's been on Riot. Like the main, so I, I don't think it's a scam. Um, and I, I think the ideas and stuff are pretty cool, especially for like the future of technology. But um, in order to make this happen, you have to kick out a lot of like the tenants that are there. These are all like poor people who have no other chance. And you know, as as it's it, it's just morally wrong. So that, that that's why yeah. I support it. Also, it involves. Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Yeah, that's the part that's yeah, we, kind of the, the scam part. Is that, that's the other part that's yeah. uh, morally dubious. Yeah, this whole city is kind of set up as like a new project with uh, uh, the Saudi prince, Bin Salman, who mm-hmm. is uh, incredibly rich and always... And also for, incredibly murderous. Yeah. And so they're setting up this city that's uh, includes things like flying taxis, robot maids, and a giant artificial moon. That's just yeah. weird, but... What the fuck? Yeah, and part of it, I guess, other vision is eSports, which, okay. But mm-hmm. uh, they decided for... This thing doesn't exist yet, mind you. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting the word out there, I guess, by sponsoring League of Legends, uh, their yep. new season of... Uh, uh, Eastward stuff over in Europe, to which uh, the community was not well receptive to, uh, mm-hmm. as you might not be surprised by. Uh, yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, see, it seems like it was going to have some presence in the the broadcast itself. Uh, mm. Yeah, they're sponsoring the Oracle Lens during live broadcast, which helps players predict the next moves the team will. Uh, yeah, the announcement includes the addition of a Neom-themed map to Counter-Strike mm-hmm. and collaboration on building an eSports academy within the city. Uh, yeah, which uh, yeah, definitely sparks some anger because you know Saudi Arabia does not have the best human rights record. Uh, yeah. Even for uh, what people expect out of, you know, uh, coming out of eSports stuff these days mm-hmm. uh, for some of these companies. But yeah, people spoke up. And uh, League actually less, uh, listened uh, and canceled the deal, saying, as a company, as a league, uh, we know it's important to recognize when we make mistakes and quickly work to correct them after further reflection, or remain steadfastly yeah. committed to all of our players and fans worldwide, including those living in Saudi Arabia and the Middle East. The LEC has ended its partnership with Neom, effective immediately, in an effort to expand our esports ecosystem. We moved too quickly to cement this partnership and cause rifts in the very community we seek to grow. While well, I missed our own expectations in this instance, we are committed to re-examining our internal structures to ensure this doesn't happen again. No word on the other uh, partnerships they had uh, cool. with uh, the Counter-Strike stuff, but uh, at least for the League parts, uh, they're pulling out and saying, yeah, our bad. Mm-hmm. I assume the offer was pretty generous to cause them to take it as soon as they got it. Uh, which would not be surprising for the the Saudi prince. Mm. Uh, yep. So, hey, there's a uh, right doing something uh, uh, at least nice to 
undo some bad shit they were doing. They were potentially getting yeah. involved with. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, we got some more information on Halo Infinite, uh, particularly mm-hmm. some of its uh, features. It's going to be supporting 4K uh, and 120 FPS on Xbox Series X, uh, as well as the multiplayer is going to be free to play. Mm-hmm. And that kind of makes me wonder if they're tipping their hat on Microsoft's online plans for next gen. Yeah, I don't know. Because uh, I don't think the multiplayer is going to be free to play as a unique characteristic of Halo Infinite. No. I think they might be getting ready to phase out Xbox Live Gold. Yeah, maybe so. Might be. That's the rumor. I also wouldn't be surprised if they maybe move to a point where uh, developers can opt out of requiring gold for multiplayer. So like all yeah. the free-to-play devs could actually have their games be free-to-play instead of requiring mm. gold to play those games. Uh, that would at least be the baseline, I think, for what they can do. Yeah, they would probably like to have you know some of their big franchises be uh, easier to support on the console uh, and have mm. more of the game to be playable. Uh, yeah, tell you at least some uh, some good news about Halo Infinite for the yeah. community. Uh, let's see. All, All right. right, we got a couple of Netflix news here. Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff that is uh, a bit surprising. Uh, adaptations. Uh, first up here is a uh, Splinter Cell anime series with yep. uh, the the writer and executive producer being the guy that wrote the uh, John Wick series. Derek Colstad. Yep, Derek Colstad. Yep. Uh, yeah, this he's this also uh, going to be he's uh, he's also going to be uh I believe he's going to be the writer and executive producer also on the Hitman TV series too. Yeah. Yeah, if, yeah, if you would if you would have told me like 5 years ago that we were going to be getting a Splinter Cell anime series instead of a new game, but also like if you if you told me that we were going to get an anime series based on Tom Clancy property. Like I would have thought you were high. Like I would have thought yeah. there was no way, but yeah, I guess uh, a Tom, yeah, a Tom Clancy anime is happening now. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I mean, like that, I mean if like any Tom Clancy property, yeah, like if any Tom Clancy property would be good for anime adaptation, it'd be Splinter Cell. Oh yeah. 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 I'm excited to see what it looks like. I, I think it'll look great. I I hope they I hope that like the reason that they are making it like you know animated and not live action is that is because like they plan on including some of the specifically uh, Michael Ironside, Sam Fisher's voice actor. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, like I hope that they incorporate him somehow. Uh, but I'm also curious like if they are doing this like like if they're doing um, what Konami did with Castlevania and just like. Um, making a making a Netflix series uh, just to make a Netflix series like like just to tell a story as opposed to like you know just to tell a story without promoting a game or if this mm-hmm. is going to tie into something that they are going to do in the future because I believe that they uh, I, I believe that variety story um, mentioned that uh, they have two like um, uh, was it they've like signed on for two seasons so far, like sixteen mm-hmm. total episodes? Yeah, so so like, I I think it does kind of like r- raise a few questions of like you know what 
is going to happen with Splinter Cell in the future. And, yeah, uh, I, I, I have a few thoughts on this. Like, uh, it's interesting, John, that you brought up um, Konami, especially with Castlevania. Like, if you were to tell me that they made a Splinter Cell anime before they do this to Metal Gear Solid, yeah, I would also call you crazy there because, you know, um, obviously uh, both these games uh, lend a lot to each other as far as, like, how they're played. But Metal Gear is totally a cinematic experience and it's crazy that they haven't done that with this yet and Splinter Cell is going to is going to beat them to the punch and you know Konami has shown that yeah here here's Castlevania go ahead and fuck around with it well why why not Metal Gear I mean sure it'll cause some yeah. stir with, with the Kojima fans but you know as as we've seen Konami doesn't give a shit they they're just go go going ahead and releasing whatever product they can possibly do and uh you know there's that and then um my other thing is that um yeah maybe it it, it does connect with the game and maybe it doesn't like Splinter Cell is one of those games that we've expected at you know E3 for Ubisoft for years, and they haven't done it. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Like you, you look at um, the games they've done over the past few years or generations, even um, Ubisoft's bread and butter is uh, open world um, experiences with some microtransactions mixed in. And um, Splinter Cell could benefit from being open world, but as a as as a game with like you know with that with the evergreen with, with an evergreen mentality. I'm not completely sure. At least with here, um, you, you can see that there, there maybe would be an interest in people watching it, depending on on the uh, on the ratings. But um, yeah, it's 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 interesting to see, especially with this next story we have coming up. Yeah, for the yeah yeah for this uh, Splinter Cell series, they're looking at already doing two seasons, uh, sixteen episodes total so far. So kind of going in on it pretty hard uh, mm-hmm. for that. So at least get a little bit of a. Uh, runway there for the story, uh, potentially to set up a game, I assume, at some points. Um, but yeah, for continuing the Ubisoft's uh, Netflix train, uh, they're doing a Beyond Good and Evil movie uh, with the director that did Detective Pikachu. Uh, this, this, is where, this is where things get interesting. Um, did, did, did they mention as to whether or not the movie is, is live action or um, animated? Uh... It seems like a hybrid live-action animated feature. Okay. Yeah. Because it, it, it makes me wonder if the tidbits that we've seen at E3 with Beyond Good and Evil 2 were just that to begin with. Because we've, we've definitely seen no gameplay. So, <laughs> who knows? Well, yeah. we'll see, I guess. Yeah, it seems like this one's early in development, so they're still searching for writers to do the adaptation for it. Uh, but they mm-hmm. do have the, the director, uh, Rob Letterman. Did direct uh, mm-hmm. Detective Pikachu as well as the the recent Goosebumps uh, movie. Yeah. Aside from Prince of Persia, which already had a movie adaptation, like these are the three. These are my three favorite properties out of Ubisoft, and mm-hmm. you know the fact that they're all pretty much going to be alternative forms of media is just weird to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This will be interesting to see how this this all turns out. This one seems like it's a few years out. Uh, especially with COVID-19 also just making the production of movies and such a bit more difficult than it was beforehand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, our uh, our penultimate story here, uh, the Nintendo GigaLeak uh, is this yeah. weird leak oh, of boy. a bunch of different assets of sorts that seems like it's probably illegal, illegally uh, uh, attained. Obtained. Yep. Uh, 
uh, of sorts is kind of throwing a big uh, kink into the the machine for archivists. Uh, people like to uh, mm-hmm. gather all sorts of behind the scenes and data mining details to, from these classic games. Uh, and generally, yeah. like to do it all above board uh, as much as they mm-hmm. can. Uh, this this whole thing provides you know a ton of interesting uh, looks into how different character designs and sprites and models were made. Uh, yeah, see, the reason this is interesting is because Nintendo, especially any game that's like got Miyamoto at the head, he he's famous for doing what they call the whole table flip thing, where if the game just isn't working. He, he just says scratch it and go back to the drawing board. So there's always just a ton of leftover assets that are still around after a game, you know, hits the shelves. And yeah. uh, it reveals how, like in some cases, how weirdly ambitious they were for some of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So definitely one of the things people found is stuff for like Star Fox and Star Fox 2, uh, to which they. Uh, Got uh, in contact with Dylan Cuthbert on Twitter, who's, you know, taking pictures of, like, this uh, uh, tool he made uh, for Star Fox 2, uh, which he says, uh, WTF, I haven't seen this tool I made for Star Fox 2 for almost 30 years. I wrote it in early C++ to teach myself the language more than anything else. Where the hell have hackers got all this obscure data from? Uh, Yeah. I think there's another one, uh, I think in the second article I linked here. Uh, that has kind of some early stuff that people have been finding in this uh, involving him, where he uh, says, uh, there seems to have been some massive leak of Star Fox uh, source code, and people are more interested in finding the word fuck in comments than they are by the fact that they <laughs> had one of the first multi-threaded, uh, tokenized script languages ever used in a game. Yeah. Uh, also, funny about, since you mentioned Star Fox, they're specifically talking about Star Fox 2, which... As everybody knows, that became, like, actually officially playable for the first time on the SNES Mini. Um, Yeah, it went a good 15 years without seeing the light of day in any official form. Yeah, and um, they got a bunch of, like, like, uh, character models and stuff that ended up getting scrapped for the game, especially, like, character profiles. Yeah. and there's some interesting thing, like, for example, there were apparently going to be human characters in there. But what's especially fascinating to me, um, so, so how many of you guys ever read the old, like, super, super the old Nintendo Power comics? Oh, yeah. Like the ones yeah. for Metroid, the ones for, you know, awesome. Mario, and especially the one for Star Fox, Fox right? Um, oh, that was Freudian. Yeah. Star Fox. Yeah, Star Fox. Yeah, that's what I was supposed to say. Uh, if you look at some of these character models, these are definitely characters from the Star Fox comic. Um, especially that uh, Fox character in the lower right corner with like the red headset. That's uh, Farrah Phoenix, who was supposed to be Fox's love interest from the comic. So they, they were actually going to make her canon. Apparently, yeah, yeah, and definitely provide uh, presents like a, a big moral dilemma for uh, a lot of the archivists out there that uh, like to come by their information more uh, uh, officially, mm-hmm. uh, less like legal gray uh, 
areas like this. Uh, I think I saw one of the, the the groups that was like doing a lot of Pokemon, the data mining and such. Uh, it was basically like, yeah, we're gonna basically shut down our wiki, uh, like take all our data, back it up, uh, and like yeah. hand off a copy to uh, some other people in the audience because basically like, yeah, you have no clue from now on where that data came from. If it came mm-hmm. from the stolen stuff, uh, that kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, that, that, I definitely get that, uh, the whole thing there. Uh, people that kind of want their, mm-hmm. their findings to be pure and not potentially yeah. open themselves up to suits from Nintendo mm-hmm. uh, for using this information, this, uh, these, these leaks and all that. And yeah, like Mike, Mike uh, over at other ocean was also saying on his Twitter, uh, real talk, this Nintendo leak is bad on so many levels. It hurts them, it hurts fans, and it turns turns the topic of preservation into a topic of security, technical grip on uh, intellectual property, regardless of its historical or educational value to the hobby, uh, mm-hmm. or value to history. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, I, I assume Nintendo's going to be much less prone to sharing this kind of stuff uh, mm-hmm. in the future, even for the little bit they do do. Uh, which is a shame. I definitely think, like, they release many, many coffee books, uh, coffee table books mm-hmm. that are full of these uh, sheets of sprites and uh, animations mm-hmm. and such that people would just buy up for whatever they whatever they want to charge, like they did with the Zelda history books they did a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah, like, the one of the big things people found is, like, uh, some evidence that Luigi was uh, in the works for Super Mario 64 at some point. Uh, yeah, which uh, is big for that community. So it's yeah. like a, a weird, like, uh, gravestone that looks like it has, says L is real on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I fed it, like, the conspiracy over all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, like some... Uh, like one of the early models for Yoshi is like a Grandpa Yoshi. Like they're going to have yeah, a, a, uh, a greater variety of looks for Yoshis than just the, the pure color. Yeah, like the prototype Yoshi just looks off. Yeah. <laughs> it looks more like an actual dinosaur. Yeah. Also, there's uh, animation files that shows that, uh, uh, yeah, Mario is totally punching Yoshi in the head when he gets in the stick his, lo- his tongue out. Yeah. Yep. And like there's a a bunch of like work in progress versions of Pokemon uh from the first few generations, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, people looking into the comments of code yeah. uh, for games. Those are always fun because uh Yeah, those are always fun because the, the they're always talking with each other in those in the code and uh always reveals some funny stuff. Yeah. And you get a lot of uh, uh, good uh, good idea, like what how delirious people get to working on code for so long. Yeah, uh, times that they start writing stuff down, it's like, what the fuck does this even mean? Yeah, it's meant something only in the context of the room that they were working in, the jokes they had back and forth, or arguments, or whatever. Yeah, uh, it's kind of wild. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of uh, the big thing for the Giga Leak. Uh, yeah, plenty of other. We stuff also out got there. like uh, some other things. Uh, one of the things they got here is a 
what looks like might be the first uh, 3D model Nintendo ever made of Link, uh, which was actually made out of the Super FX chip. Apparently yeah. they made it in 1994, which yeah. you know seems to show they were all already kind of getting ready to move over to the 3D space for Zelda series. We even also got like a uh, early version of uh, what some of what some of the rooms and temples for Ocarina of Time would have looked like. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if this is uh, even got like uh, uh, some beta shots for Super Mario sixty four, including the original cartridge art. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, some scrap Pokemon sprites as well. Yeah, there's even some stuff like uh, prototype games, even some that might have finished and just decided it was. You know, not not something they should release. Uh, like some yeah, interesting like cat here, uh, a hockey RPG that they're working on the NES. Yeah, uh, with Taito huh. called Hit the Ice. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that by the time Hit the Ice is an actual game that uh, made it to release, but it wasn't an RPG. So maybe there was another. This was three, like it was NES the NES port. Huh. Yeah, this was the original version, I guess. As a uh, Prototype that came out a little while ago, but yeah, it's uh, got finished. But by that time, it was 1993, and nobody's really releasing NES stuff at that point. Uh, Yeah. So yeah, it would eventually. uh, uh, Yeah, they added a quest mode to it, that you wander around town, chatting with residents in between, playing the hockey stuff. Oh, so it's basically like uh, Golf Life or whatever that game is called. Way more belligerent. Yeah. Like, um, even simple acts like checking somebody are replaced with fisticuffs. Yeah. Just imagine, uh, you know, suddenly uh, getting into the middle of a fight in the ice and it turns into a turn-based combat. See, I could get into that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But yeah, that is the... So, yeah, this is... It's going to be... On the one hand, yeah. Uh, it, it apparently looks like somebody totally uh, broke the law and, and uh, probably stole a lot of this shit. But on the other hand, I mean, it's a very rare opportunity here. It's all fascinating. There's yeah, amazing it, information in there. Yeah, and it shows like how much uh, uh, material, like how much material Nintendo actually goes through in between. Uh, game releases. Yeah, and, like there are just whole projects that just never see the light of day. Yeah, it's also kind of wild considering that. I mean, a lot of the stuff that is leaking is you know back from the SNES, like mm-hmm. like, right, like you know right around thirty years old, and it's still preserved. Like they still have it. And then you think of like you know like uh, I remember whenever um uh, whenever Square Enix re-released Kingdom Hearts One yep. uh, on the PS3, they. There's like that whole story about how they had previously lost the source code and how they yeah, had to like was, rebuild it. I was about to say, I wish Square Enix was half as good as Nintendo at keeping source code. <laughs> yeah, like um, I, I forgot where I heard it, but I heard the reason why like Second Densetsu Three took so long to be localized was the fact that Square Enix lost it, but Nintendo had it in Japan, so they used their version. Yeah. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I think that you know, like it. It really is a testament to, I, I guess, how good, um, was it, how, how good their internal uh, preservation efforts are, and just the 
size of the balls on Miyamoto that he's willing to just straight up say, screw all of this, we're starting over. Yeah. Like yeah. so many times. Yeah, when you come in with Donkey Kong, Super Mario Brothers, and Legend of Zelda, you kind of get the caveat to kind of do what you need to make sure that yeah. the, the train keeps rolling for Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that sense. But yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see like what what all still keeps coming out of this stuff uh, as people continue to dig into it. Uh and especially how it maybe works its way into some of the uh prototype versions of games that people put out there for people to play. And uh, emulators and such. I'm just waiting for some wave race stuff to come out. Yeah. Right, well, uh I mean they they've got a good chunk of new Nintendo 64 stuff in this thing, so sweet. It's probably there somewhere. Yeah, I mean, if it, if somebody did just just plugs in that Luigi code to the Mario 64 source code, there it's a totally different game. Oh yeah, we forgot to mention. Yeah, they 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 found a uh, Luigi uh, model for Super Mario 64. Yeah, yeah, he he's it's there. Yep. Yeah, and. Uh... I think we'll cap this episode off here with uh, some fighting game stuff. Uh, and I'll oh, let yeah. Pat lead this yes. part. Um, so Friday night I was not on Let's Weekend. And the reason I was not on Let's Weekend is because there was something rather unprecedented going on in the fighting game development community. And there was this enormous roundtable discussion that included developers from almost every major uh, fighting game studio you know, in the industry, and it was a really productive discussion, but um, not only that, studios also um, used the time for whatever announcements they would have had for Evo, um, you know, at the at this roundtable, if they had it ready, because things have been held up by the pandemic, Um so, starting with some announcements, uh, Street Fighter V isn't getting its announcement until Tuesday, um, or until Wednesday. Uh, there will be a live slash early afternoon, depending on what you're in, with Yoshinori Ono and Kenny Omega, and they will be detailing, I don't know if it'll be of Season 5, but it will shed some light on it. So uh, that's going to be a thing. Um, Street Fighter V is also getting two-week full access uh, free-to-play uh, starting Tuesday. So if you've not tried out Street Fighter V and you want to see what it's like with all 40 characters and all the features that have been piled into it you know, over the last four years, now's a really good opportunity to, to check that out. Um, and I'll add, uh, it is on PlayStation Now for the next couple of months. So if you have that, you can kind of check out the base game uh, okay. as well. All right. Um, Setsuka is going to be the final Soul Calibur V Season 2 character. Uh, mm-hmm. She will be dropping this week. Um, she is an Iaido practitioner that debuted in Soul Calibur 3. And yep. oh, I put Soul Calibur five. It should be Soul Calibur six. Yeah. Uh, don't play five. Just don't. Um, there's a free character coming to Samurai Showdown, Gong Sun Lee. Um, mm-hmm. 
She's from a ten cent property called uh, Honor of Kings or something like that. Um, but uh, she'll be arriving this week in that game. Um, Tekken Seven Season Four has been confirmed with a new balance patch that will, um, you know, retune the entire roster, give everybody some new moves. Um, no explicit word on what characters are going to be in the pack, but um, at the very end, there was a character teased who could be Kunimitsu. Mm-hmm. Um, this would be her first appearance in a canon Tekken game since Tekken 2. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also some buzz that it could be Kasumi from Dead or Alive, mm-hmm. which would not be entirely outlandish given... Um, the current climate of the fighting genre. Um, of course, DOA is kind of on a break from uh, development at the moment. And uh, when, you know, they, they got some, uh, you know, they got some bonus characters from Virtua Fighter while Virtua Fighter was on a break from development. So mm-hmm. um, I'm not ruling that out um, by any means. And that did look like a DOA stage that, whoever the character is, was appearing in. So yeah. um, check out the trailer, see for yourself. But um, there are a couple of possibilities that are more likely than others. Mm-hmm. Um, no word yet on when Tekken 7 Season 4 is going to be beginning, but uh, stay tuned on that because there's still uh, lots of events to... Um, that they can talk about that on lots of online stuff going on. So, um, yeah, things are happening on tech and, um, update on guilty gear strive. It's coming to PS five and steam as well as the PS four next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got two more characters, uh, Leo Whitefang from guilty gear XR and the newcomer that we saw in the reveal trailer way back when they first announced the game before it even actually had a name. Um, and this character is Nagori Yuki, who really looks like a bleach captain, I would say. <laughs> like, that is yeah, his entire... Yeah, a little aesthetic. bit of that. His, his mask kind of looks like uh, Briar Eros from Appleseed as well. Um, I think... He, I, I'm also pretty sure that his character design is also somewhat inspired by Afro Samurai. It could be, yeah. And I also think that he was probably partly inspired by uh, Yasuke, who... I've told this story many times, yeah. I'll go ahead and say it again. Yasuke was an African man who was a retainer to Noda, Nobunaga Oda. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and that's especially character... funny because... Yeah, that that's part is especially funny because, well, you know how the gaming and anime world is now. And yeah. So people, and you'll find a bunch of comments, people like, well, a black samurai, show his arc system where it's going woke. I'm like, read a history book, dude. (laughs) Seriously. Uh, Nogori Yuki looks really fun to play. Oh, yeah. He he might be my He's a vampire, isn't he? Isn't he supposed Uh, to be a vampire character? I didn't see anything that said that to me. Um, I'd be surprised if only because... Um, because they've already got a vampire on the roster. Um, but let's see. Plus, 
because he seems to have at least a couple of move sets that's uh, moves that mirror some of a uh, mirror some of Slayer's moves, which made people think maybe he's also a vampire. Well, yeah, Slayer is a uh, Slayer is a direct descendant of Nosferatu, so yeah, yeah, he is a vampire. Um, Nagori Yuki has officially been revealed as a character, and it appears his playstyle will be very control oriented. A uh, cybernetic samurai, they're saying. I gotcha. And um, yeah, he definitely looks like a captain from Bleach. It's, it's yeah. I would not would not be surprised if uh, yeah if uh, if Daisuke decided to get to take some uh, clues from Tide Kubo for this yeah. character's design. Yeah, uh, and it definitely uh, looks like something he would make. Having a better look at him here, it's clearly not the same Haori that you see captains wearing, but the design is very, um, still very much in line <laughs> with it. Yeah. Um, but as far as I could remember, that was about it for the announcements. Um, but the discussion part might have actually been the real, um, the real meat of the panel because there was this unprecedented spirit of open dialogue and collaboration that you don't often see um, in the gaming industry in general, let alone from the Japanese side of it. And yeah, you well, I mean, to, to be fair, a lot of these guys, I mean, didn't they actually, like, a lot of these guys have kind of hopped around between companies for the last 20 years, so yeah. you know, the idea that, you know, they might have a, they might all basically be friends doesn't really surprise uh, me all that much. It's not uh, far-fetched at all, but um, working together while uh, being with other companies is definitely novel to a lot of them. Um, mm -hmm. You can tell just um, Katsuhiro Harada, the the lead producer of Tekken, mm -hmm. he was completely open and willing to collaborate and willing to, you know share data and things like that. And mm -hmm. uh, it was such a novel concept to some of these developers that a few of them look visibly uncomfortable by how, <laughs> um, by just how open and forthcoming the whole tone of it was because they, it, it was like they were worried if they were going to get chewed out by their bosses when they <laughs> get done with the stream. And, you know, hopefully that's not um, anything that comes out of this, but... I I would like to say I don't think that's going to happen, but this is the Japanese business world we're talking about. And so, so. Um, <laughs> yeah, we had people there from SNK, from Capcom, Bandai Namco, Arc System Works, Arika... Uh, Koei Tecmo, who um, Yohei Shimbori was actually uh, thanking them for inviting him, even though DOA is kind of on hiatus right now, which I thought was pretty funny. Mm -hmm. um, there were some unnamed Sega developers that were invited, but they were too busy to make it, as well as Dragon Ball Fighter Z's uh, producer Tomoko Hiroki. Um, but they're not ruling out that any of these people could be involved in. Um, in future panels and that, you know, they do want to make this a regular thing, whether they have announcements or not, just have 
questions coming in from from fans and you know seeing um you know discussing amongst themselves in an open setting um various issues surrounding fighting game development you know in the modern industry um some of the topics we had included accessibility uh we had very open dialogue about cross-platform play uh which was one of the places that we saw some people getting uncomfortable um it, it was almost like platform holders were close to getting thrown under the bus. Um, and then, you know, th- there was talk about fight sticks and optimizing control options um, for, you know, the modern gaming scene. I, they just had all of these, you know, I thought that some of the questions initially were kind of stupid. But then you got the developers talking about them, and you got all got into all this really thought provoking shit. And i I feel like um, I feel like a lot of these developers are going to be going back to their studios now with a completely um, fresh set of ideas. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you know what might come from this in you know two or three years. Because I oh, really, yeah. feel, I really feel like this was the most important fighting genre um, event, probably in the last decade at least. Because the channels of communication are open in a way that I don't really think can be reclosed truly, and the fact that the players are a part of it too, um, just this whole collaborative sense that it's taking on is, um, is really exciting and I can't wait to see, um, yeah, where it goes from here. All yeah. Right. It's going to be fascinating to watch. Um, yeah. yeah, it seems like they're probably realizing that's the, the, the fighting game scene, especially in Japan is not quite as big as it was like last generation. Uh, and they're entering a point where there's definitely a bit more, cooperation they need with each other both for you know uh, a lot of partnership stuff they're doing with uh, Uh sharing characters between games and all that kind of stuff but as well as you know sharing tech because things like cross-platform play and that kind of stuff uh, everybody gets better when they all learn how to best do this stuff and gets you know your net code in right because that's still a big issue uh, especially with like one of the biggest uh, fighting game devs out there, uh, Nintendo, shitting themselves every single time they get the opportunity to do this kind of thing. Quote unquote fighting game devs. Yeah, <laughs> but still, like they got booted off of Evo when it came time to put games that were uh, online uh, that do online well uh, to it, uh, despite Smash being one of the one of the games that has the most entrance usually, and that's not a good look for Nintendo. Uh, in that sense, when, you know, they get... Oh, yeah, I, I think almost everyone got a black eye there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because a lot of Japanese games uh, get kicked out of that, because there's, like, two indies, uh, Mortal Kombat and Killer Instinct, that kind of were, like, the main ones. Uh, and and that was actually another discussion that came up there was Rollback Netcode, and um, everyone involved seemed really 
um, eager to adopt it now <laughs> because yeah. online is becoming so much more important now than it was even just six months ago yeah. that, um, you know, it, we don't know how long this is going to be the uh, main form of communication we or form of competition that we have at our disposal. So I, I'm happy to see the likelihood that all these fighting game stu- studios are going to be falling all over themselves to adopt rollback netcode. Uh, we see Arika doing it with this test that they're doing with fighting EX layer. Yeah. Um, SNK has slowly been rolling it out for a lot of their legacy games um, that we've seen on PC and on and on console too. Uh, Garo and Last Blade Two got it. Um, fans ran into Smash Melee, you know, which is uh, definitely there's always like a weird competition between Nintendo and its uh, fans as far as. Uh, those games, uh, especially in the emulation scene, uh, them adding stuff like retrofitting. I think whatever Brawl was on the Wii, like trying to make it yeah, more like melee. That kind of, yeah, that kind of stuff. Nintendo learns probably a lot about what fans want through that stuff, uh, more so than just pure listening to them on Twitter and Facebook and whatnot. Yeah, well, I think Nintendo has a more top-down kind of. Uh, relationship with its players than other fighting game studios. Um, I think Nintendo has a very old school, like this is the product we are putting out for you to receive and uh, make of it what you will. Um, And what, and that um, feedback is met with um, no, it is we who are the developers. You are the players. And um, with the fighting game studios you're seeing here, um, they're definitely uh, receptive to feedback, but um, it, that was another discussion they had too. If you haven't, um, if you haven't watched the roundtable, they talk about um, how much fan feedback um, influences what they do, or how much you know playtesting influences it, um, and playtesting, of course, has been. Uh, complicated as well uh, by the pandemic. Um, there's been talk of, you know, how much of it is just what you guys decide you want to do. And mm-hmm. that definitely plays into it as well. So, um, yeah, that, I, I mean, if you haven't watched this roundtable, I highly recommend you do it because um, apart from all the announcements, um, you'll get through... Um, the actual roundtable discussion portion of the show in maybe 45 minutes from the time it starts. I think it starts about 15 minutes into the stream and then goes until the top of the hour. Okay. And yeah, it's just a really good discussion. And um, if you're interested in fighting games, if you're interested in game development, um, if you're interested in where fighting games might go in the near future, then I highly recommend you give this a watch because um, this is really this is this discussion is unlike anything we've ever seen before. To be honest, I haven't had a chance to uh, watch any of it yet, but I'm really glad that this happened, especially with the timing 
Like I'm like I'm looking at my time hop right now. I'm like, oh shit! Like I was at Evo literally this time last year, and yep. it was a it was a totally great experience. And like part of the good thing about having such discussions is the fact that you know, um, while uh, at the beginning you know a, a lot of arcades were competing for game retention, it's good to see the collaborative efforts between these companies and seeing how they can improve off one of, well, one another's projects. And it's good seeing that meld because you know. Um, you can talk about it with any genre. Like at first, they were all in it for competition, but they're all learning from each other. And at at the end of the day, it it, it all like makes their games better. Like, um, we 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 haven't seen like you know people like uh, you know Miyamoto or Naka talking about how Mario and Sonic could benefit from each other. We we don't see um, uh, Call of Duty or uh, Battlefield like go ahead and to talk to each other. So these are good they're, they're they're good for the industry and you know like like they said before it doesn't have to come with announcements if they just want to collab and do a round table it's definitely good to see and you know it's it, in, in an age where things like system wars get in the way it's just good to see gamers collaborate yes yeah 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 so definitely check that out if you are interested in seeing japanese developers being probably a bit more uh, frank and open than usually uh you see them uh that definitely seems like a good watch uh, and Katsuhiro Harada being a complete savage. <laughs> oh yeah. And then like oh, one quick thing about the Nintendo thing, like yeah, like they were invited, but at the same time, like I don't, I don't mean to get into the whole like Smash is not a fighting game or is it um, argument, but if Smash was there and they made an announcement there, it would just take away from everything. So it's kind of a good thing they weren't there, in my opinion. Yeah. Nintendo was invited. Uh, I, I think Namco mentioned they, they, they tried to get Sakurai or a, any of his uh, people um, involved, but uh, it, it was a hard no, which makes sense. Also, the other, the other, the other argument... would be consistent with the Nintendo uh, company line. Exactly. And then the, the other argument is um, most of Sakurai's staff on Smash is Namco, so it's very interesting. That's true. I, I would have just loved the interactions between uh, Sakurai and the SNK guys because the... Um, all love, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Nintendo doesn't really need this kind of thing to promote Smash, so they can. Post. I don't think they want it either. Yeah. yeah. They can uh, any, do whatever they want. We go viral anyway, so it doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. If you want to get Smash fans into a tizzy, they can. They have several options uh, that doesn't involve taking away from these other studios. Uh, but yeah, that's. Uh, it looks like that's our show for this week. Uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with uh, another slate of news. Hopefully uh, some more good stuff here. And, uh, yeah, thank you to uh, Patrick Mifflin, Brandon Perkins, John Ulanik, and Dan Victorio. I'm your host, Chris Logie. We'll see you guys again next time. <laughs>